Well, mankind is on a never-ending quest for perfection and permanence. It's always been this way. You and I, everyone who's ever lived, deep down we have this desire, this quest for perfection and permanence. From the building of the Tower of Babel, or the 1,500-year reign of the Roman Empire, or modern technological advances of the iPhone, we are hardwired for perfection and permanence. And for as much as we desire these two things, history and our own personal experiences tragically reveal to us that they are unattainable by our own efforts. Does it not? I mean, think about yourself. Think about your, your, your attempts at perfection and permanence. They reveal to you that it's impossible, that it's out of your grip. The collapse of Babel, or the fall of the Roman Empire, or the newest reveal of the iPhone X. Do we really need a new iPhone every year? I mean, can't you just get it right one time and let me stay with my one and stop changing the adapters so that I have to buy new things? I mean, can, all these things, they prove that we can't get it right. Try as Apple may, perfection is out of their reach. The iPhone X looks pretty close, but I guarantee you they're going to come up with another another option. Work with all of our might, stones laying in graveyards etched with our names and our dates of life are the closest thing that you and I can get to permanence. In spite of our best efforts, perfection and permanence remains out of our personal reach. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. It offers perfection and permanence through the power of an indestructible life. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7 this morning to see this come alive in the scriptures. And so if you could stand with me as I look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. It's on page 1004 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. This is what the preacher of Hebrews says in the first century. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the, tribe, with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one who has made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make 
intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he himself once for all, for he himself did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So some of you have been here for the last few months as we've been tracking through Hebrews, and some of you are new, you're just visiting this morning, and some of you may be newer to the Bible and may have no idea what is going on there. And I hope to help us understand this passage this morning in light of the resurrection, in light of Easter Sunday, and how this makes a difference in our lives here and now today. And so what I did is tried to simplify and kind of... Um, just, just boil this passage down into a statement here, which we will walk through and understand how Jesus is good news for us this morning. Here's the statement. Here's kind of the summary of what was just read. The indestructible life of Jesus proves his perfect and permanent priesthood. Consequently, we are able to receive salvation, draw near to God, and inherit perfection and permanence. The indestructible life of Jesus, which we just read about in verse 16, he has the power of an indestructible life. It proves that he has a perfect and permanent priesthood. As we have this internal desire, this internal drive for perfection and permanence, all of us do. We're always trying to improve. We're always trying to perfect ourselves. And even in this day and age, I think sometimes millennials, there's a bunch of us millennials here. I'm one of us. And I think we, we kind of pride ourselves in trying to be authentic, right, and not be perfect. But even in that, we believe there's a right way to be to not be perfect, right? There's a perfect way to not be perfect. Um, I've read some articles on hospitality and how hospitality doesn't have, nothing, nothing has to be perfect. It can just kind of be messy. People come over, bring what you have, bring what you, what you have with you, and we'll just make it happen. Come over to the house and hang out. But even in that, we have this idea of how perfect, imperfect hospitality should look and work, and we only want to be a part of it if it fits our kind of categories of what a, the perfect evening or time at somebody's house would look like. And permanence. I mean, we're all trying to make a difference, right? We want people to remember us. We want to be remembered. And so we have this internal drive for perfection and permanence. And here in this passage, we're told that Jesus has this indestructible life, that he is the perfect and permanent one. He has a perfect and permanent priesthood. And then verse 25 says, consequently. So as a matter of consequence for us, we are able, because of Jesus' perfection and permanence, you and I are able to receive salvation, we're able to draw near to God, and we're able to inherit perfection and permanence. To better understand this, what I want to do is just hear the voice of Jesus this morning. I want to hear him telling us in his own words what it means for him to have an indestructible life. I want to hear Jesus telling us about his authority over life and death. On this Easter morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, when we're celebrating Jesus overcoming death, I want to hear, and I want all of us to hear the words of Jesus prophesying about his authority and power over life and death. And so I'm just going to read some passages from the Gospel of John, 
You can close your eyes and you can listen. You can follow along in your own Bible or in the Pew Bible and read with me. But let's listen to the voice of Jesus. Let's see the indestructible life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Starting in John chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Jesus said to, to them, the them is Jews who are looking for a sign. Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? 46 years to put stone on top of stone, and and for the architecture and the builders, everyone to come together. 46 years to build this magnificent temple in Jerusalem. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus has an indestructible life. They, they mapped out the temple. They spent 46 years building the physical temple, the brick and mortar temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the true temple. The presence of God dwells in me. I am the true temple. That old temple, the, the one that took you 46 years to build was to point you to a Messiah. And I am here. And you can destroy this temple. And in three days, it will be resurrected. It will be rebuilt. It will be born again. Jesus has an indestructible life. John chapter 5, verse 26. Jesus says to his followers, For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus says, I have life in myself. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has an indestructible life because he is the life. John 10, 7 through 18, Jesus with his disciples again says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand does not, and not a shepherd, does not lay down his life for the sheep. He sees the wolves coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolves snatch them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep an indestructible life. He lays it down willingly. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Verse 16, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life willingly. He lays down his life that I may take it up again. Jesus, the author of life has an indestructible life. He has authority over life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Connect that, that 
passage in John, say Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. Jesus, he has no need, like the other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin, sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. We celebrated Good Friday, Jesus' death on the cross, not because the Jews cried out for him to be crucified and the Romans had the power to crucify him. We celebrated Good Friday on Friday because Jesus laid down his life willingly for you and for me. He had authority to lay it down. He laid it down in our place, and he has the authority to raise from the dead. Jesus overcame sin and death in the grave. One more look at John 19, verses 10 and 11. This is Jesus on trial. This is last week, Holy Week. He's standing before Pilate. Pilate says to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Remember, they they would release one prisoner every year before the Passover. And so Pilate's saying, I have the authority to save your life, Jesus. The Jews want to crucify you. I have the authority to tell them, no, I'm going to release you as a prisoner. I have the authority to release you or to crucify you. This is Pilate's words to Jesus and Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, verse 11. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus willingly laid down his life in our place. No one took his life from him. He has an indestructible life. This is all prophecy that was fulfilled in the resurrection Jesus' words there in John were prophetic. He was telling his followers, he was saying, look for this. I will overcome sin and death in the grave. Destroy this temple. And in three days, you will see this temple again walking among you because I'm here to bring you the presence of God permanently and forever. I am the perfect and permanent high priest, the sacrificial lamb. Jesus prophesied of his indestructible life and then he proves it on Easter morning by walking out of the grave. The preacher of Hebrews picks up on this and makes the point that because of Jesus' indestructibility, because his life can't be taken from him, we have a perfect and permanent high priest. That's what this passage, Hebrews chapter 7, is all about. It's about Jesus' perfect and permanent priesthood. The Old Testament, God had set up a system where we, the people, needed a priest to go into the presence of God to offer sacrifice for our sins. And some of us still approach Christianity or religion this way. We think that somebody has to go on our behalf. Somebody has to say special prayers for us. Somebody has to bring offerings and sacrifices to God in our place on our behalf. And we're right thinking that somebody does, but sometimes we attribute it to the wrong person. Sometimes we attribute it to pastors or priests or friends or family members. Jesus is the one who does this for us once and for all, as Hebrews 7 has told us. He is the perfect and permanent high priest. He's currently serving at the right hand of God the Father on your behalf, on my behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God. Look at what the preacher of Hebrews tells us about his perfect and permanent priesthood. Hebrews 7, 23, 26 and 28, it tells us about his perfection. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, listen to this, holy, innocent, unstained. Is that any of us outside of the, the, the imputed righteousness of Christ on our behalf? I mean, in and of ourselves, in our flesh, can we say that we're holy, innocent, and unstained? 
Not a single one of us. But Jesus is holy, innocent, unstained. He's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He's perfect. Verse 28. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. The Old Testament appointed men in the, in the line of Levi, in the house of Aaron. These were the appointed high priests, but they were weak and they had sinned. They were imperfect. They died and they didn't remain forever. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the, word, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, Jesus the Christ, who has been made perfect forever. He is a perfect and a permanent High priesthood. He's made perfect forever. Perfection and permanence. Perfection and permanence. Look at what else the passage tells us about his permanence. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. We're all headed there. There's a grave awaiting each one of us. It's the sad reality of life. But the hopeful reality of life with Christ is that it doesn't end there. We'll see that in a minute. But here's, here's what he's saying. The Old Testament priests, they were prevented by death. They died, verse 24. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus is a perfect and permanent high priest on our behalf. And because of this, there's, there's a consequence. And I love this. We usually think of the word consequence as a bad thing, do we not? Like, you're, you, there's some consequence coming. I, I've only heard the word consequence as a bad thing. But consequence just means a result. And so Hebrews 7 here says in verse 25, Consequently, because of Jesus' high priesthood, because of his indestructible life, which was proven on Easter, when he got up out of the grave, it proves for all of us that his life was indestructible. He has authority over life. He prophesied that in John. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. No one has authority except for what God gives them, and I have the ultimate authority. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And so because of his indestructible life, proven at the resurrection, he is a perfect and permanent high priest, Consequently, there's a benefit for us. There's a consequence for you and for me. The consequence is right here in chapter 7, verse 25a. Consequently, your consequence for Jesus' life, for who he is, is that he is able to save to the uttermost. The consequence for us because of Jesus' indestructible life and his perfect and permanent high priesthood is that we can receive salvation. He is able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost, it, it, means, it means forever and final. It means the farthest. Those of you who feel the farthest from God, Jesus is able to save you. He's able to save to the uttermost. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought. It doesn't matter how you've acted. Jesus, because he has an indestructible life, because he is a permanent and perfect high priest, the consequence for you, if you would receive salvation, is that he can save you. He can save you. Those who are the furthest away, and also the word uttermost here means final. That, it, that's, that it's a final salvation. That if you place your faith in him, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far out you are, it's done. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? What did he say? A couple things. It is finished. It is finished. He has saved us to the uttermost. Who? 
The second consequence, those who draw near. So there's a condition here. We need to draw near to God through Christ. But this is also a consequence. It's a benefit for us of what Jesus has done. His indestructible life proven in the resurrection shows us that he is a perfect and permanent high priest. Consequently, we are saved and we are able to draw near to God the Father. We are able to come into the presence of the holy living God and not worry about being struck down dead for our sin and not worry about being punished for our sin. Later in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see God talk about discipline in Hebrews chapter 12. Here's the amazing truth of the gospel. God disciplines his kids, the ones that he loves, so that we would grow up into Christ-likeness. God doesn't punish us. God punished Jesus. He punished sin once and for all in Jesus. God, the holy God, the perfect God, can't be in the presence of sin. And he has wrath against sin, which is a steady opposition to sin because sin hurts the, the pinnacle of God's creation, you and me, created in his image, mankind. And so God couldn't be in the presence of sin. So that's why in the Old Testament, he set up the system where the high priest would come into his presence one day a year, into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. After making all this purification for sin, after doing all these rules and rituals and rites, they would come into the presence of God and hope not to be struck dead. And here, the New Testament reality, because of the resurrection, we are told that a consequence of who Jesus is, is that we are able to draw near to God the Father. God has open arms for you and for me. And he's not saying clean yourself up first and then you can come. He's saying come through Jesus just as you are. Receive my embrace. I want you with me. We can draw near to God the Father. And then the last consequence is that we inherit perfection and permanence. To see this, I want to go back to the Gospel of John and listen to the words of Jesus, telling us what it looks like for us to receive perfection and permanence. We desire it. We desire to be better than we are. We desire perfection in our life. We desire to make a difference. We desire to be remembered. We long for perfection and permanence. Our world longs for perfection and permanence. And in Jesus, we can inherit it. Let's look at what he says about this in the Gospel of John. Our inherited perfection and permanence. John three sixteen and 17, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's no death for those in Christ. There's permanent life. There's eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to, the, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 5, 21 and 25. Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The power of death and life is in Jesus, the one who has an indestructible life, and he shares it with us. We inherit it in him. John 5, 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 5, 39 through 40, Jesus says to the religious rulers, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may receive life. 
He's saying there's life in me. You search the scriptures looking for life through the law and through religious duty, but the scriptures point you to the to your need for the Messiah, I am that Messiah. I am the one with an indestructible life. I am the one who will overcome sin and death and the grave. And so come to me. Don't come to the law. Read the law. Get to know the word. Study the word. Study the scriptures that they would point you to me, the Messiah, the one who has life. Come to me that you may have life. John 6, 27, 32 through 35 and 47 through 51. Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of life, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 8, 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And John 10. Again, we, we read this. Let me pull out a couple of verses. John 10, 10, and then 27, 29. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, again, this is Jesus' voice, Jesus' words, Jesus' teaching, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And then John eleven seventeen through 25. This is Jesus coming to the tomb of his beloved friend Lazarus. Listen to the words of Jesus. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's thinking, I know there will be an eternal resurrection. Right now he's dead. He's been dead for four days. He's in a tomb. It's sealed. He's dead. He says, your brother will rise. I know he'll rise in that day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live Though there's physical death, there is eternal life for whoever believes in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks Martha this question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? She answers him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming 
into the world. So she believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the one who can bring life. But his question to Mary is pointed. He says, I, Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they will die physically, yet they will live eternally. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. If we are in Christ, we have inherited a perfect and permanent life. There is no death in Christ. He defeated sin and death in the grave. And so church, do you believe this? Some of you have been around for many years. Are you living your life as though you believe this? That there is eternal life, that there is abundant life, that there is life-giving life in Jesus. And so, as a result, do you come to him? Do you draw near? Do you receive from him what he has for you? And some of you are new to this church thing, new to this Bible thing, and let me ask you, do you believe that there's a better life for you in Jesus Christ? That may not mean that all the circumstances of your life improve, but there will be this deep satisfaction in your soul if you come to Jesus and receive from him the bread of life, the water of life. You will never thirst. You will never hunger again. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ who came to grant eternal life, proving his indestructibility with the resurrection? As we remember Easter, as we think about the empty grave, it shows us that Jesus' life is, in fact, indestructible, that he remains perfect and permanent, and he offers this to us. In your quest for perfection and permanence, All of us have it. Spend some time thinking about how how do you pursue perfection in your work, in your relationships, in your spiritual walk? How do you pursue perfection? You want it. Deep down, all of us want it. In your quest for that, and in your quest for permanence to make a difference, to, to leave a mark, have you drawn near to Jesus? Will you draw near to Jesus? For he's the one who, through the power of an indestructible life, can grant you salvation allows you to draw near to God the Father and gives you an inheritance of the perfection and permanence that your soul desires. Would you come now? Would you draw near to Jesus? Would you come to him, the one who through the power of an indestructible life offers you an abundant life? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that though you live an indestructible life and you existed eternally on high in heaven and you left the glory on high to come here and walk among our imperfection and walk among the things that are always changing, always dying, always decaying, you brought perfection and permanence to us, a people filled with imperfection and decay. And you proved your indestructible life by overcoming sin and death in the grave. You rose on the third day. He is risen. Let's do it. In the middle of the prayer, he is risen. risen Amen, Jesus, we believe that. Would you help us to grow in our belief of that? Those of us who are here this morning who are questioning and who are unsure, I pray that you would supernaturally give them the ability to believe that you, in fact, have risen. And that in you is an abundant life. And those of us who have said this for years and maybe it's lost its weight and it's lost its meaning, I pray that you would return to us the joy of our salvation. That we would cling to you, Jesus. 
that we may receive our due consequence, salvation, nearness, perfection, and permanence. For your glory and our joy, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.